Well, it is good to be back in the saddle. It's amazing how one week off just kind of throws everything off. But uh, man, so this week was interesting in preparing because we're starting a new sermon series at the same time. And the sermon series is Psalm 23. Now, before you check out on me, you go, oh, Bill, I know that one, right? Like, everybody knows that one. The Lord is my shepherd. I bet I could stop right there and you could finish the rest of it. But here's the thing with familiar scripture. Sometimes if we go back and we take a new look at an old scripture, we see things. Sometimes when we go by rote, it's so familiar that we just kind of breeze by it and we miss some of the gold that God has to offer us. So my goal in this series, I shall not want Psalm 23, we're just going to take it bit by bit. In fact, today we're only doing one verse. I'm waiting for the groans. Oh, man. No, it's good. This is going to be good. Because here's what I want to do. This is my challenge for you over the next month that, that we're going to cover these topics. Over the next month, as we take this verse by verse, I'm going to teach you a method by which you can just go verse by verse, and that becomes your prayer for the week. And as you pray and you meditate and you reflect, this old psalm takes on a new meaning, I hope. It becomes alive in your life. So today we're talking about the shepherd. I bet you can't guess the rest of it, those who know the psalm, right? The restorer, the protector, and the promise. And that's where we're headed today. So to kick this off, uh, I, I want to tell you a little bit about me. <laughs> At one point in my life, I was one driven individual. I was climbing that ladder. And it's interesting to me because uh, there, there was always something in me that made me want to prove myself. And, and later in life, as an adult, I went through this thing called faith walking. Has anybody here done faith walking? Uh, uh, one. Okay, good. <laughs> so you can, and, and two, okay. Night. Way to go, buddy. I didn't know they had a kid's version, but that's awesome. <laughs> so in faith walking, you really explore uh, what has made you the way that you are. And here's an interesting fact about me. This is what I learned. I was always trying to prove myself. And I think it's because I was the youngest of three boys, where you don't get a lot of attention. You just get a lot of beat down. That's what you get. And so from as early as I can remember, I was determined that I was going to, did I mention I'm also the smallest in my family? I know that's a shock to you. I, I know. But, but this is also, so I'm always trying to prove something. So all through my life, I, I, as I look back now, I can see I was in, uh, Indian guides, I don't think they had that anymore. It's probably not appropriate, I don't know. Uh, uh, where they had ranks, right? I was in Cub Scouts, Weeblos, and Boy Scouts where you had ranks because that's something to visibly look. Look at what I am, I'm, I'm this rank. Look at what I've done, I've got merit badges, right? And then you'd think I would get over that when I got out of high school. I joined the military because you have ranks and you get ribbons and you can prove you got titles and all this other stuff. What's my hobby? Martial arts, because you got ranks. You've proven yourself, right? Do you see the trend? I am not right in the head. I'm telling you, there is something wrong with me. And I, I got to thinking, why am I that way? Why am I, you know, if I go through a training program, not only am I going to graduate, I'm going to be better than you. That, that was my mentality going all the way through. I was a one driven individual. But here's what I learned. Being driven maybe isn't always the best. Because being driven comes with a cost. It can come with a cost because I was driven by insecurity. I was driven by fear. I didn't ever want to be that, that last one picked. I didn't ever want to be the, the weak link in the chain. And so that drove most of my adult life. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes I flip back and forth between what I'm going to talk about today and being driven. When I don't think it's going like I think it ought to, that drivenness comes back. 
and I try to take over. I try to <laughs> muscle my way in to make things happen the way that I want them to happen, and I'll, I'll guarantee you nine times out of 10, okay, 9.8 times out of 10, it doesn't really work well. It doesn't go like I think it should. It takes a toll on me or somebody else around me, and, and it's just not right. So is there maybe a different way of being driven? And, and here's how I came to this conclusion. Uh, somebody asked me the other week, so why did you become a pastor? And, and honestly, I, I was climbing this ladder, climbing this ladder, uh, and in the space of 18 months, I had significant life events happen. So my father passed away like that. I mean, I'm talking five minutes from didn't feel good to gone. Uh, it, he was invincible. I, nothing could hurt this guy. So, and then I, for me personally, those of you who, who know my history, I had my uh, collapsed lung episode. That was a walk in the park. Um, but anyway, uh, so significant life events. Here's my father who was never sick a day in his life, was indestructible and he's gone. And then, you know, I'm still indestructible because I'm young. Anybody been there? Yeah, we're, we're invincible, right? Until we're not. I had this collapsed lung thing happen. And I won't tell you the whole story. Ask me, buy me a couple cups of coffee. I'll tell you how God worked in that. But all of a sudden I realized, hey, wait a minute. I'm not invincible either. This is, this is getting serious. And, and that's when you start questioning, you know, what is it that's really important in life? What is it that, what's the legacy that I want to leave? And the only legacy that I had at that point was my Air Force career. <laughs> You'll notice that none of my kids have anything to do with the military. Uh, they, they saw too much, I think. But <laughs> that's not bad. It, it's a good thing, I promise you. But my legacy was, was basically, you know, how to break things and blow things up and all that. And that's not really what I wanted to hand down to my kids. And so while I didn't leave the Air Force, I changed how I interacted within the Air Force. I, I, and I became a little less driven by fear and insecurity and paid a little more attention to what God had to say. But here's my great dilemma when it comes to God. The more I studied about him, you know, as a kid, you kind of get this impression of God of being this kind father with a gray beard, and he gives you everything that you want, and uh, it's just super peaceful, and there's never any wrinkles in life. And as an adult, you know that's not true, right? Is this news to anyone? <laughs> You're with me, right? Life isn't that way. So here's my great dilemma. If, um, if, if you're out there driving, uh, climbing this ladder, I want you to think about this quote is actually from Stephen Covey, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's an old book, but it's a classic. You should read it if you haven't. He says this, some people achieve the top of the ladder and only then realize it was standing against the wrong wall. See, that was me. I was, on the, I was determined to do the best that I could in the Air Force. And, and God wasn't really a part of that. Now, hear what I'm saying. It's not an either or. It's not that I couldn't be in the Air Force or serve God. And that was my mentality at first when I was driven. My mentality became I can be in the Air Force and serve God. And once I made that little tweak in that ladder, the rest of the career took on a whole different meaning. It was much more fulfilling, I'll be honest with you. I mean, ribbons, awards, they come and go. Plaques on the wall, they're sitting in the garage. I probably shouldn't have said that online. If you're listening, guys, I really cherish those. Yeah. <laughs> but what you become through Christ, uh, that lasts for an eternity. And so that's the ladder that we need to lean the wall against. That's the, the wall that we need to lean the ladder against. So I'm not saying wherever you are, you can't serve God. What I'm saying is 
are you serving God wherever you are? And if not, maybe it's just a tweak of the ladder. Maybe it's just a slight change in your approach. But whatever you do, make sure that the ladder's on the correct wall, and that's the wall of God. Because if not, at the end of our days, I think there'll be great regret. Fortunately for me, I had a great wake-up call, well, a series of wake-up calls. I'm not that bright. It took a few. <laughs> uh, I hope you're a little quicker than I am, and it only takes one. But, but I hope that that ladder leans against the right wall. And as we look at this, this uh, understanding as we get older and there's, there's wrinkles and there's problems, I also understand that there's a dilemma that comes up pretty quick as an adult facing life and trying to be a Jesus follower. And here's what I'm talking about. You know, we get this picture of Jesus that he's the great provider, he's my shepherd, he does all this stuff for me. And my question is, if Jesus is such a great provider, how come I feel so lacking? How come I want stuff? How come I feel like I'm not fulfilled? If Jesus is the great provider, why, isn't, why am I not constantly in a state of 100% content? And this is a question I have today, and it's a good question. Anybody else there feel the same? Yeah, if Jesus is such a great provider, why do I feel lack? Well, let's talk about that. And here it is. Scripture reading of the day, I hope you strap your seatbelts on, it's a long one. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to pick apart this, so if you're playing the home game, maybe scrap some notes, or if you've got a note-taking device on your phone, tablet, uh, big chief tablet, I was looking for Jimmy, but... <laughs> <laughs> Had to get chiefs in there again. So let's take this apart a little bit. I want to start at, in the middle of the verse because sometimes uh, we just, when you read something wrote, you just kind of right over the top of it. But we're going to start in the middle and we're going to pick it apart so that you can't get into those familiar rhythms. So we're going to start with shepherd. Where is my shepherd? Now, this is written by King David. You're familiar with King David. He was a shepherd. He's writing what he knows about. As a shepherd, he would know exactly what a shepherd does, and he would know what sheep are. Shepherds are providers. Shepherds are care caretakers. Shepherds, shepherds protect, defend, equip, take care of, all of those things for sheep. And that sounds pretty awesome. That is our provision. And again, this is where I have the problem, because if God's such a good shepherd, why am I still wanting well, here's the other thing. This is King David, the shepherd, saying, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that make King David? A sheep. So here's King David saying, yeah, I'm a sheep. And we talked about the sheep logo a few weeks back. You know, I did not get any hits on the merchandise store for the sheep logo that I was proposing for WordServe. I'm kind of crushed. I'm amazed. You guys didn't want to go with the sheep. <laughs> sheep are dumb. You don't want to be a sheep. You don't want to, that, that's not what I want to be. Speaking of legacy, how about this? Yeah, my legacy was I'm a sheep. I'm the most hearted animal. I can't even find my way out of a pit. I don't even know where to graze. I don't even know when danger is near. Right? I mean, sheep are so dumb. I, here, here's an example. Have you ever been to a circus and seen the trained sheep act? No, because they're stupid. They can't, they can't do out there and dance like dogs. They can't jump through hoops. They're just sheep. You know what we use sheep for here in Texas? 
they're delicious. <laughs> or mutton busting. Anybody seen mutton busting? Yeah, at the rodeo. These sheep are so like, oh, there's a little person on my back. I don't know what to do. Run, run. Yeah, they, that's all they've got, right? But this is King David saying that the Lord is my shepherd and I am a sheep. And it's a recognition of how far we fall short of what God is. It's not that we're dumb. Well, <laughs> speak for yourself. It's not that we're incapable of smarts. It's that compared to him, we've got nothing. We're talking about God, the, the ultimate creator of the universe. Do you think I can compare to his wisdom? No way. So in comparison, yeah, I'm kind of dumb. I'm kind of helpless. And he sees things that I don't see. So as him being my shepherd, that, that's... That says something about me, and, and that's the hard part. We have to be humble enough to say, yeah, I, in comparison to God, I got nothing. And, and personally, I'm grateful for that. I don't want a God that's just like me. I don't want a God that thinks like I do. I don't want a God that's as smart as I am. I want a God that is infinitesimally smarter than me and sees way more than I do. That's the God I want. That's my shepherd. So which leads us to the next word, my and, and this is a question for all of us. This is a question I've asked myself repeatedly as I've prepared this sermon. Is God my shepherd? See, in, in that time when David is writing, there's a lot of religions. There's a lot of gods. There's a lot of people offering sacrifices so that they can hopefully convince their God that maybe it'll rain or maybe we'll have children or maybe whatever else. We're trying to manipulate those gods. And those gods are distant and far. They're not anywhere near. They're hard to convince. Uh, they're aloof. They sometimes come down and mess in human affairs, but most times you just can't find them. But this is my shepherd. The God, the creator of the universe, is my shepherd. But only if we allow him to be. That's the thing. See, the shepherd isn't going to make us be a part of the flock. And this is the part where it's slightly different than the average flock. He, he'll come looking for you, but he's not going to make you. He'll come looking for you. He'll invite you. He'll forgive you. He'll knock on the door, but we still got to open it. But God is my shepherd. He is not distant. He is here in the midst of all this with me, whatever all this is, whether it's a, a family struggle, whether it's a job struggle, whether it's a medical crisis, God is there. He is my shepherd. He's not removed. He's not aloof. He knows exactly what we're going through. The next word is, uh, well, is, is, but we're going to go to the Lord, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, somewhere in the scripture, Jesus says this. He says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I ask you to do? See, it's one thing to be my shepherd because, yeah, guide, that's kind of come and go. Uh, when I need a guide, I'll call on you, God. But when I need a Lord, Oh, see, we're going to have problems there because I like to be Lord. Remember what I said earlier about being driven and trying to do things my own way? Uh, he's not my Lord at that point. He's my genie in a bottle. And I only approach him when I need something from him. God, I'm trying to do this. Rub the bottle, genie appears. God, make that happen. Well, then who's God? Me. And it's a poor choice. I'm telling you, don't let me be your God. God needs to be God. He needs to be Lord. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You've heard that saying before? So we have to understand that we're talking about the Lord, the one that I will follow, even when I don't understand. 
the one that I will follow even when I question. Why, God? The one that will take care of me and give me what I need. The one that can see way beyond anything that I can see. And then finally, the first word is the. Now you're thinking, that's a dumb word. Why would you focus on the? Well, here's the thing. The Lord. There is no other. The Lord is my shepherd. The provides. So if we're looking for happiness, if we're looking for contentment, we don't need to look all over. We don't need to try the latest thing that you see on the infomercial, the thing that pops up on your social media because they know what you look at now. You don't need to try that. There is one source of contentment, the Lord. Not a Lord, not one of the Lord's, the Lord provides. If we can sit there, if we can focus on that, then maybe we have a chance of this contentment. Maybe the rest of that becomes true. I shall not want. See, most of my wants are my wants. They aren't my needs. There's a big difference. A shepherd in the field with sheep is not going to go, you know what? You look like you could use an iPad. I'm going to make that happen. I've never seen a sheep with an iPad. Probably because they're too stupid to walk. Yeah, it won't work. But what the shepherd will do is, I need to make sure they're fed. I need to make sure that they've got water. I need to make sure that they're protected. If something bad's about to happen, I will lay my life down for them. And literally, Jesus did just that as the great shepherd. That's what shepherds do. Now, that's not exactly glamorous, but it's reassuring, is it not? And we're going to talk about <clears throat> how that provision and reassurance comes in the, in the next weeks to come. But we need to reflect on these words uh, very carefully. And one of the ways that we can do that <clears throat> is to ask a couple of simple questions. Are we obsessed or possessed? Obsessed or possessed? This is one of those words that as you type it and you look at it a million times, you're like, did I spell that right? But I did not get the red squiggly line, so I'm going with what we got, all right? Spell check me if you wish. So are we obsessed or possessed? And here's what I mean. I was obsessed in my early career. I was obsessed with being the best. I was obsessed with making a mark, obsessed with people knowing that I was someone important. And the problem with that is that became an end into itself. And you know what? Even though you win awards and you gain rank and you get ribbons, it doesn't really matter in the end. Now, are we possessed? See, you're thinking already, like, I'm not talking about that possessed. <laughs> I'm talking about, we often associate possession with an evil spirit that comes in and takes over, and it's not you acting anymore, it's the evil spirit. Why does it have to be evil? Why can't it be the Holy Spirit that we're possessed by? I mean, isn't that the point of our relationship in Christ? Isn't that the point of the Holy Spirit, that he lives in and through us and moves and talks through us? This is a good possession. I want to I retweak the definition of possession here at WordServe this morning. It's not an evil spirit that we're being possessed by. It's the Spirit of God that we're possessed by. And if we are, everything changes. If we're possessed by the Spirit of God, we live and move and talk and behave in entirely different ways than obsession. And we move away from the drivenness of less than ideal motives. I'm no longer fearful. 
the, the God of the universe is protecting me. I'm no longer insecure, as Jimmy sang this morning. I'm a child of God. What title, what ribbon, what trophy, what award can you win that tops child of God? I, I have yet to find one. And I have yet to find any that will last into eternity like that will. Maybe that's where I should put my money. Yeah, I'm a child of God. I'll be possessed. So let me give you some examples because I know <clears throat> this is a hard concept to get our heads around, this good possession. I want to talk about Paul, New Testament Paul, was Saul, now Paul. Paul went in a good trajectory because when he was obsessed with being the very best Pharisee that he could be, his motto was stop Christianity at all costs. And man, he was good at it, was he not? I mean, he was like a terrorist. He was like Al-Qaeda doing, doing his thing out there. If you read the account of the very first Christian martyr, who's instigating the crowd? Who's holding everybody's cloak so they can do the damage? That guy. He was obsessed with stopping Christianity. So what happens? Well, he meets Jesus, the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he goes from obsessed to possessed by the Spirit of God. And as a result, he goes from stop Christianity to spread Christianity. What a great example. That's the difference between obsession and possession by the Holy Spirit. Now, lest we think that this is just an ideal progression, we start here, we end there, life is happy, there's rainbows, unicorns, ice cream for everyone, it can also go the other way. And this is what we need to be careful with. This is why I say sometimes when things don't go my way, I tend to revert back to me. And I'm my own shepherd. I'll do my own thing. Here's an example. David. Oh, wait, didn't he write this thing? Yes, he did. And that's what is the warning tale. That's the cautionary tale here. The author of this psalm went the other way. He went from Goliath slayer to Uriah slayer. Now, if you remember, when David was young, he was possessed by the Spirit of God. He went to see this guy. He went to visit his brothers and give them lunch. And he saw this guy, Goliath, taunting the Israelites. Him being the uh, possessed guy of God said, hey, you can't do that. I come before you in the name of the Lord. Now, either David is really, really dumb or he's really, really confident in his God. It turns out he was confident in his God because you know the story. He kills Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. Ten times his size or whatever it was. Almighty mouth strikes again from Goliath's slayer. But later in life, somehow he lost that possession by God and picked up an obsession with a woman named Bathsheba. If you know that story, you know where that leads. It leads to him, David, actually going so far as to commit adultery. And if that's not bad enough, murder. And this one hits home, right, for the military guys. This one hits home because this is Uriah. He is a brave soldier. He's doing his duty. He is faithful to King David. King David gives him a sealed order and sends him into battle. And the sealed order that's opened by his commanders that he never sees says, hey, take Uriah, put him in the front lines, surge up, and get him in the hottest part of the battle. And when he's there on point, everybody pull back. And maybe he doesn't make it. He didn't make it. That is like the ultimate betrayal. That is possession to obsession. David became so obsessed with Bathsheba that he was willing to do whatever it took to make that relationship work. Who's the shepherd at that point? This is the battle that we all face. It's not you, you always arrive at this possession of God and then it's forever there. God's forever there. It's just that my connection 
is not forever there. I need to work on that connection. I need to concentrate on that. I need to be deliberate about that. That's one of the reasons that we get together every week and we talk about it. That's one of the reasons that there's a book that you can read anytime you want. It's on your phone, it's in hard copy, any, any place you can get it. It is the most published, here's the irony, it's the most published book in the world and probably the least read. That makes me sad. Sad because there's so much in here that can make our lives different. Finally, the last example of possession obsession. Maybe? <laughs> can you click? There we go. Jesus. Oh, oh, careful, Bill. This is Jesus. Stand back. Lightning bolt about to happen. I'm not saying Jesus was obsessed. Let me just say that up front. He was strictly possessed. And this is the goal. If we're going to be Jesus followers, we want to be Christ-like. This is the goal. The only time that you see a crack in the armor is there in the garden when he says, is there any other way? But he doesn't give in to that obsession. He doesn't give in to the obsession that happened in the wilderness when the devil tempted him. Hey, if you just worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Are you obsessed with power? Hey, you could take those stones and turn them into bread. Are you obsessed with the daily requirements of food? Hey, if you jump off this tower, the angels will pick you up. Are you obsessed with safety? So much so that we're afraid to do anything, afraid to say anything, afraid to be Jesus followers. Jesus never was. I lift this up not to make us feel bad that we've never, you know, we've stumbled or we've gone back and forth, but to recognize that this is possible. If we're solely possessed by the Holy Spirit, this is possible. The only chink in the armor was, is there only other way? But then it goes to, I am the way because of his whole possession, because he was God. He went to the cross. He makes it possible for us to have that forgiveness, that protection, that fulfillment. That's what God offers to us. So here's the exercise for the month. It's called Lectio Divina. Anybody familiar? No. Great. Awesome. Maybe I'll put out some stuff on Facebook. That might help. Lectio Divina starts at the top. It basically is where you read, and then you think about what you read, and then you pray about what you read, and then you rest, and then you start over again. Now, this is not like read the Bible in a year, not that there's anything wrong with that. This is like read until something grabs your attention. The Lord is my shepherd. Stop. Think about that like, like we just did. Pray about that. The Lord is my shepherd. God, are, are you really my shepherd? You know, as I look at the decisions I made in the last week, I think I've tried to be my own shepherd. As I look at my actions, I realize that my shepherd was actually the people at work that were influencing me, and I didn't want to look like a geek, so I listened to them instead of you. God, my shepherd was that bully at school because I paid more attention to him than the voice that you speak. I wanted to fit in, so I did what the kids did because I didn't want to look out of place, and they became my shepherd. But God, forgive me. Let Be my shepherd again. Thinking about it. My shepherd, you know, God, he, he's right here. Now, it may not feel like it. You're going through stuff. I get it. Life is heavy. Life is difficult. God is right here with you. My shepherd. It's the Lord. Lord, forgive me when I make you smaller, when I make you look like me. 
and I look into the night skies and I look at the work of your fingertips, I marvel. You've made us just a little lower than the angels. You've given us a crown of glory. The, God, I've been looking so many places. I've been trying to find contentment. Nothing seems to be working. Help me to focus on you. Help me to reconnect with the Lord, not a Lord, the Lord. And then rest. That's an example of Lectio Divina. I'm going to encourage you to do that throughout the next week. Maybe I'll post some things on Facebook or uh, on the website that will help us to do that. But I encourage you to follow this cycle. Maybe take a picture of that and see if you can make that a part of your life. Going forward, here's an exercise for you that you can do. It's called, who's your shepherd? <laughs> here's what it is. Basically, uh, you sit down with a piece of paper or a phone, if you prefer the electronic version, and you answer these questions. What is it that you're wanting or lacking? I'm wanting recognition. I'm wanting more money. To what end? I'm wanting to be known for something. Why? Write it down. Where's that coming from? Is that coming because you were the little brother of three and you're trying to prove yourself? Is that coming because somebody made fun of you and you're out for revenge? Is that coming because somebody's telling you you need to be more? And let me just finish that sentence. You need to be more than a child of God? Really? You need to be more than a child of God? I don't think so. The next question, what will that provide? If you get that thing that you're wanting or lacking, what will that provide? I want more money. What will that provide? I'll be rich. To what end? And that's not all bad news. Because if I want that money and I want to be rich so that I can do more good in the world, that's a good thing. But if I want more money so that I look more impressive, me, myself, and I, then that's not a good thing. If I want a platform from which to speak, I want to do really good in sports, so I'll get a platform to speak. About what? About me or about God? I marvel at the, the athletes that will make a statement for Jesus Christ. I'm like, yes, finally. But you know they're the minority. Most of them are out for the deal, for the sponsor. Now, I would prefer to be sponsored by the Lord of the universe personally, but they're in it for the deal, the Nikes or whatever. And then finally, <clears throat> after you answer, what is it you're wanting or lacking? Where is that coming from? And what will that provide comes the big question. And here's the big question. Is this of God? Because if it's not, I will tell you up front, from practical experience and from the word of God, you will not be content no matter how hard you work in that. You will feel a lack. It will never be enough. It will drive you to do things that you don't want to do. It will drive you and others into frustration and all kinds of negative energy and emotions. But it, if it is of God, that cycle goes upward. It's a positive thing. You will be uplifted. You will be renewed. You will soar on wings as eagles, as we talked about two weeks ago. Is this of God? And here's the subtle change that begins to happen. Because when I'm driven, if I'm driven by fear, insecurity, anything of this world... It's going to wear me down, and, and you too, frankly. I prefer to be called. Called is a whole different thing. 
So rather than be driven, make the shift. That, uh, driven is the ladder that's against the wrong wall. Called is the ladder that's on the correct wall. And that doesn't mean that you have to stop what you're doing in your life or, or disassociate with the people that you hang out with. What that means is we take a subtle tweak and what we do, we do for God. What we do, we do because he is my shepherd. That's the deal. And here's the great if then. This solves everything. It's not that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's if the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. That's something that we can rest in. That's something that will provide for us, that will give us security, that will give us peace, that will be with us, that will lift us up. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. We thank you that the desire that he had for us was so great that he was willing to come and find us no matter where we were, no matter where we are. God, we're reminded that the Lord is our great shepherd. There is never a time that we don't have a shepherd watching over us, protecting us, guiding us. God, if I'm honest, my confession is that I don't always listen to that shepherd. I pray for all my brothers and sisters out there that there would be no shepherds but you, that all the other voices would be drowned out, whether it's social media, whether it's people we hang out with, whether it's the news, whatever it is is driving us. God, help us to pull back from that, listen for the voice of the shepherd, to be called by the voice of the shepherd, to be loved by the shepherd himself, the Lord of the universe. Nothing escapes you. You know our hearts but you love us anyway. So God, I pray this morning that you would break through all of that. Take away any doubt, take away any distractions, bring us fully into your presence. Let us see you face to face. Let us be loved even when we feel unlovable and let us love like you do in return. We pray this in Jesus' name.